Thanks for downloading this podcast. podcast. It's for personal use only and must not be rebroadcast, reproduced or used in any form without permission. Tell your friends they can get their own copy by searching iTunes for Radio Le Mans or visiting RadioLeMans.com. The sound of endurance racing around the world. This is RS1, part of the Radio Show Limited Network. Hello everyone, Richard Crow here and welcome to On The Grid, a weekly in-depth look at the Australian motorsport scene here on the Radio Show Limited network of channels. On The Grid covers everything from supercars to S5000, TCR to Australian GT and a whole heap more. The weekly spread of interviews, news, views and opinion on what makes the sport tick down under. We'd love to have you involved as well. If you've got any questions about Antipodean racing, drop us a line on the socials by using at the race talk on Facebook, Twitter or Instagram, and we'll include your question in the next show. So that's it from me. Grab a beer, put a snag on the Barbie, fire up some Bathurst on the TV and crank up your V8 and enjoy an Aussie look at our great sport. And let's welcome the show's host with the most, the voice of the Melbourne cricket ground as well, is Tony Shebecki. G'day everyone and welcome to another episode of On The Grid. Thank you so much for joining us. It's our post-Bathurst show. What a great weekend it was and what a fantastic win to Holden drivers Shane Van Gisbergen and Garth Tander. We'll talk about them shortly and we'll also speak to Garth Tander who'll join myself and Richard Crowell for a chat in just a tick. Mark Walker also to join us to wrap up what was the Bathurst weekend. But first of all, as we said, Holden drivers Shane Van Gisbergen and Garth Tanner have won the 2020 Bathurst 1000, providing the perfect send-off in the team's final factory race. Van Gisbergen broke through for his first Bathurst victory, having twice previously finished runner-up, while Tanner added a fourth win at Mount Panorama. Four duo Cameron Waters and Will Davison finished second, while Chas Mostert and Warren Luff came in third. Richard Crail, a great Bathurst weekend, my friend. Oh, it always is, Shebex. Even even from afar, it was a cracking motor race. Um, really good pressure cooker stuff at the end. In fact, all the way through the weekend, lots to discuss and lots to debrief. And we might as well get a Bathurst winner on Shebex, I think, to have a chat about it. Not just any Bathurst winner, a current mm. Bathurst winner. Yes. Of course, uh, a fantastic drive by himself and Shane Van Gisbergen on the weekend, weekend taking out the Bathurst 1000. Garth Tander joins us for a chat. G'day, Garth. Congratulations. Cheers, boys. Yeah, so good day at the mountain for sure. <laughs> it was a great day at the mountain. Uh, was it a normal day at the mountain for you? I mean, did everything go as you would normally do? You've been there 23 or 24 times now. Did you wake up the same time? Uh, yeah, it all went, um, yeah, it all went reasonably smoothly, to be honest with you. Um, obviously... 2020 has shown itself to be a very unique year with all the COVID stuff that's going on. But um, the actual, once we got into the actual race meeting aspect of it, uh, it all went very smoothly, very much the same. It was clearly very, very different without fans being there. Um, the atmosphere was a bit different. It was definitely lacking atmosphere. You can't deny that, especially around the shootout time, you know, it's like when you're there in the shootout sound and someone sets a faster sector, the crowd goes crazy and their favourite driver goes to fastest at the time. There's always plenty of atmosphere around the place. Um, so that was lacking. Um, and then the podium was, was didn't have the, the traditional podium atmosphere with everyone underneath the podium. But the intensity of every practice session, of qualifying, of the shootout, and then ultimately the race itself was every bit as much intense that I've ever experienced. I think the race itself is probably the most intense race I've ever experienced. It's just the the pace of the race. It was the second fastest 1,000 kilometres on record. Uh, and every lap was a qualifying lap. Didn't matter if, if it was Shane driving the car or myself driving the car. It was uh, it was absolutely flat out. So, yeah, look, it was different uh, outside the car, but certainly inside the car with the helmet on, mate, she was as tense as ever. Um, car 97 was a rocket ship. GT and we sort of picked it earlier in the weekend you were the only co-driver who actually did a full run in your co-driver practice session you did 20 laps I think in that Friday session and it was incredibly consistent and it was from that point we looked at that car and went man over a stint that car looks really really strong that was obviously the case on Sunday because you used it to to great effect uh yeah that's right it was definitely always the plan that I'd do a race run 
uh, in one of those sessions um, on on uh, when was it Friday? Uh, Friday? Friday, yeah, yeah, and um, and yeah, look, um, I originally it was going to be I was going to do it in the co-driver session, um, which was the first session of the day, and it's quite early. So it, um, Shane actually said on Thursday night, he goes, oh, "I'm comfortable with the car. I just want to do my shootout sim at the start of practice five. And then Garth can do his race run then. And right. so basically what that meant was then in the co-driver practice session, the actual dedicated co-driver practice session, I could continue to work on race setup yep. and continue to refine the race setup so that when I did my race run, we were a bit further down the road. So it was great that both Shane and Grant McPherson, mm. our engineer, had the faith in me to continue to do the setup work for the race during the co-driver session. And then I could jump in after Shane had done his one lap on sat on saturday yeah saturday and um and uh do the race run then so really all shane did two laps on saturday he shoot out sim and yeah. shoot out lap and i yeah. did the rest of it the you spoke earlier on in regards to the intensity and that was something that was evident even as richard said from before from afar those last five minutes of every practice session or the last 10 let's say which all became practice qualifying runs for the main drivers effectively they were hot. Yeah, mate, it was. Um, I've never seen so many new tyres thrown at race cars at yeah. that before. <laughs> Obviously, that's a reflection of, of the new tyre rules for the year. I haven't actually... That was the first supercar race meeting I've been to all year. So I didn't really... You don't really get to see the practice and how people use tyres in practice. But, um, yeah, the amount of qualifying sims that were done um, through the lead-up. And I think also uh, people were expecting it to be wet on Sunday so they didn't didn't really were didn't really I don't think well I think a lot of teams use green tires in practice expecting that they weren't going to be using slicks on Sunday um, so we stuck to our traditional tire plan and we didn't do anywhere near the amount of qualifying sims that everyone else did so we had a lot of green tires left for Sunday um, whether that meant that our tire consistency was better particularly in the back part of the race when Shane was going at it so hard with cam whether that made a difference or not, I don't know. But, um, yeah, man, if you're a primary driver, you'd never have got so many qualifying sims at that than what happened on the weekend. Even I think even some of the co-drivers did some qualifying sims. Yeah, yeah, they did. Absolutely. And the pace between them was was amazing. Um, do you, just, just off topic a little bit, do you retain the co-driver cup? I think a Bathurst win gives you that, doesn't it? I don't know. I have to go speak to Caruso and Reynolds. <laughs> and I'm no doubt there'll be some technicality and Caruso will claim it for himself somehow. Yeah. Being on pole on Friday or something like that. <laughs> yeah. Um, how did you feel jumping into the car, mate, after such a long time out of the seat? Um, yeah, it was good to obviously get in the car. It was, um, I was pretty comfortable in the lead in to, to the race week because of just because of the experience that I have up there. So um, I was pretty comfortable um in the lead-in, um, jumping in the car was great. Last time I drove the 97 car was the February pre-season test at Tail and Bend. Yep. Last time I sat in a race car was Thursday evening in the TCR car at the Grand Prix. So that's, what's that, early March? Yeah. So, um, so yeah, look, it was um, it was good. It was, I jumped in. I actually treated Thursday pretty much just as a, like a, you would a normal test day. I mean, tried to remove the whole Bathurst aspect, try and remove the fact that you're at a race meeting, just sort of ease yourself back into it with no pressure. I knew the speed would be there. I didn't really, wasn't really concerned about that. It was really just making sure I was comfortable in the car and wasn't going to take any risks with the car. So um, yeah, did about five laps and it felt normal. So I started pressing on. Most of the main guys would have been used to the fact that they didn't have corporate events they had to do during the weekend and driver autograph sessions and all that sort of stuff. Does that make it for an easier weekend or does it make it for a, a little bit of a dull weekend? Oh, look, I think some of it was probably um, maybe a little bit duller as far as you don't have that fan interaction. So whether it be, you know, merchandise, alley visits, um, various corporate stuff, yeah. you, know, you, you probably um, missed some of that interaction for sure. But um, you're definitely far fresher. I mean, Lounsey and I both actually commented to each other how much better we felt on Saturday night, for example, because you weren't rushing from corporate to corporate yeah. to merchandise to autograph session to this, to that, to the other. Oh, jump in and drive the car for a little bit. Off you go and do all the rest of the stuff. 
because yeah, you, you'd certainly your time demands were nowhere near as normal so, as a normal Bathurst. So um, I think it was it was enjoyable from that aspect that you could just focus on the race car driver thing. Um, but yeah, I mean, ultimately, end of the day, the fans are incredibly important, and we need to have them back as soon as possible. Um, and obviously, our corporate partners, you know, we need to be able to spend as much time as we can with them. We we ended up, I think, we did three or four various Zoom functions over the course of the weekend with our with our sponsors anyway so um we were still doing that stuff it was just a little bit different mate can you believe this is i mean you've been doing this now at bathurst for 23 odd years can you believe this is your fourth win i mean you've won the great race four times and there's only 12 drivers in the history of this thing that have done that so you're an incredibly elite company mate have you had a chance to just take that in and realize the weight of those accomplishments over your outstanding career and before you answer that, Garth, I'm going to throw in the fact that you've won four in 20 years. So yes. effectively, one every five, which is a nice strike rate. Actually, Alison McVean, who used to be my engineer, Dave Reynolds' engineer now, he texted me on Monday morning and said, you looks like your strike rate's around every 10 years, so do I have to pencil you in for 2030? Yes. So I said, mate, if I'm still hanging around at 2030, then there's something wrong. So, yeah, um, yeah look... Um, it's obviously very, very special. I actually hadn't given the whole 20th anniversary of the first race win too much thought until it started popping up in various stories in the lead up to the event. Mm. So that was obviously, that's nice. It's very special. Um, Gerald McDornan texted me actually on Sunday night and, and told me that each of my four wins have been with first time winners, which I didn't realize either. Yep. Oh, there you go. So that was pretty cool. Um, and then, yeah, three of the last four wins have been for the official factory holding team. So, no, it doesn't, it doesn't, it hasn't sunk in really. I don't think the totality of it, being winning it four times. Um, I, it, it feels like it's a bigger deal this time. It feels like it's a big deal. And that's probably because there's a, a few storylines attached. Definitely the final official factory involvement of Holden is a big thing. Um, so, yeah, look, it's, um, Yes, it's it's surreal. It's that's the biggest thing. I think it feels a bit surreal at the moment. Well, I think it's almost exactly the same gap between your two thousand win and your oh nine win with Will as it was between your eleven win with Nick to your twenty twenty win with uh, Shane. So that's a, a strange little quirk of the numbers. There. Um, I'm talking to RD at the moment about extending the contract. So if I get it extended for nine years, I should be right. Yeah, I think you'll be right, mate, for number five and maybe six as well. <laughs> Absolutely. Um, and you, you spoke very eloquently after the race about the significance of the Holden thing. And, and you just touched on it there that three of your four wins have come for the factory Holden team. And you've been incredibly loyal to the brand since the very start of your career with Gary back in, in the nineties. So just again, touch on that relationship and how important Holden's been to your career and a really nice little full stop, I suppose, for that segment of, of Holden's life in the sport. Yeah. Look, it's when the announcement was made in February that Holden was ceasing operations in Australia at the end of this year, um, we're obviously all taken aback from that. And, and then, you know, in the months after you start thinking about what the ramifications are and, and then you start thinking, well, Bathurst and Holden are so intrinsically linked that, you know, we really need to make sure we try and win this this one because it's a big deal for Holden. It's a big deal for the people at Holden, a big deal for the Holden supporters. Um, they're incredibly a passionate bunch and it's a terrible shame that we couldn't have the, the traditional crowd at Bathurst to see un, what unfold unfold live at the circuit because... Mate, they would have they would have loved that for sure. Yeah. So, um, yeah, look, Holden, uh, it's, there's been no master plan on my part that I was always going to be a Holden driver for the whole time. It's just the way that it's played out. Um, you know, when I first started driving for Gary in 1998, it, he was a Holden team. Um, and I got to know the Holden people through that period, people like John Stevenson, Simon McNamara, Gerald McDornan, um, John Ellsworth, Peter Hannenberger, who was the MD at the time, they they were really really good to me, um, really really looked after me, and um, and they you know they helped me. They helped me go to HSV dealer team, and then obviously I started working with Tom Walkinshaw and John Crennan and Ray Borrett and all those guys. And by that time, Simon McNamara had moved into the motorsport manager role. So yeah, look, I I created some fantastic relationships. It's been incredibly humbling to receive emails since Sunday from Mark Royce and Mike Devereaux that were previous MDs of Holden that have now moved up 
into very senior roles in GM and, and for them to reach out and say um, that they really appreciate what took place on Sunday is, you know, it's really humbling. So, um, yeah, look, it's um, it's really, really special. It's something that I was I was really keen to try and achieve. I know Roland was really trying keen to try and achieve that with either of the cars. Um, so, yeah, look, it's... Um, yeah, it was a really nice full stop. You know, it's a lot of the Holden supporters and Holden fans are terribly sad that it's all going to come to an end at the end of this year. So hopefully that's a little ray of sunlight for them to, to, to end it on, if you like. Must have been a bit of a kick in the guts in the garage when Jamie put it into the wall and uh, that would have just dropped the mood a fraction, I would have thought. Yeah, 100%. I mean, I didn't realise, like, the guys just... I was actually pitting that lap and the guys were on the radio saying, yeah, pit this lap, safety car, safety car, pit this lap. So that's all the information I had at the time. So you do all the normal thing, do the pit stop, jump out of the car. And literally as I was pulling my helmet off, uh, Shippy Grant McPherson has said to me, he goes, mate, it's Jamie that's in the wall. And I was just like complete and total disbelief. Yeah. Like, I was like, well, what, what happened? What happened? And then you see the replay. So, um, yeah, look, uh, um, you know, it just proves to you that Bathurst will bite anyone. You know, there was obviously a lot of talk over over the weekend about the rookies at Bathurst and, you know, that they, you know, a few of them tasted concrete over the course of the weekend, as we all have at Bathurst. But when a seven-time series champion and a, you know, four or five-time Bathurst 1000 winner um, gets bitten by Bathurst, it shows that it, the mountain doesn't discriminate. It, it, it will take anyone, you know, so it doesn't it doesn't care about your reputation. So, um, yeah, look, um, obviously the team was... Um, was you know did absolutely took, knock the wind out of the sails for for probably half an hour in the garage, but they're pros. They realised that you know there's another car within the fight, and you know it wasn't very long before um, David Couchy and and the the Triple Eight crew were you know right into it. Why? What can we do for the ninety seven car? How can we help? Sort of thing. And um, from that point on, like it was um, you know everyone was obviously focused on the ninety seven car, and um, and they executed all day. I mean, I've never had a race that has gone so smoothly. Mm. Like literally, if you're going to write a plan of the, how the race would go, mm. mate, there was no deviation from the plan. Absolutely whatsoever. Um, so that's when those couple of safety cars came at the end. I was like, ah, here we go. Gone <laughs> <laughs> so well to this point, surely how, how's it going to take it off us in the last five laps? Yeah. Um, well, just speak to that because Shane's had some incredible drives in his supercar career and Rabathis wins always eluded him to this point, and, and Crompo was talking about it on the broadcast, so I think the sum total of his second places is less than a second. He's lost the race by, and he's finished second twice. Um, but that's as good as I've ever seen him drive a supercar in those last, probably the last 60 laps, or at least from when he got into into the car mm. for his final stint, under relentless pressure from that very fast monster forward of Cam Waters, and then to survive those two restarts as well, right at the very end, under that much pressure, it was really awesome stuff from him, wasn't it? Oh, mate, that's that's as, as good as I've seen anyone manage those three stints of the race. Yeah. Um, he he managed the car. He managed Cam behind him. He managed the tyre. He managed the whole thing, as like I said, as good as I've seen anyone do it. And he got slightly better in each stint the way he just managed it. Um, so that was – it was actually – I actually found myself just enjoying the spectacle of it all and how it was playing out and started really getting enthralled about the battle that was going on because, look, Cam was super fast. Mm. If you go back and look at the last two pit stops of the race between the Red Bull guys and the Tickford guys, mate, they were less than a tenth of a second apart in the pit stops between each other. So as far as an intensity goes as a battle between... Two drivers and then two teams trying to obviously come out on top of the mountain. That was, um, yeah, I just started watching the race as a fan and just sort of, how cool is this? And then I was like, oh, hang on a minute. I've got a bit of skin in the game in this one. So, um, so yeah, look, it was, um, I sent him a message um, on Tuesday morning, actually. And he's not big for the whole, you know, congratulations and, and all the rest of it. But I just said to him, I said, mate, you need to spend a bit of time and just sit back and appreciate what you achieved on Sunday afternoon because that's as cool as it gets. I loved your little homage to uh, CL in an interview towards the end where you said, g'day to the kids, Scarlett <laughs> and Sebastian. Uh, what did it 
mean to you to not have the family there for the first time in probably ever? Yeah, first time ever that the kids haven't been at Bathurst. Normally, we're staying in the in the motorhome next to the truck, and they're there terrorising the paddock. Um, so yeah, look, it was it was a real shame that they weren't there for that. Um, this year was actually going to be the first year ever that my parents came over from WA to watch it. They've actually oh, wow. never they've never actually been to Bathurst to watch me race. Really? So I think they must have figured. Oh, he's probably not got a couple left. We better get over and have a look. <laughs> so, um, so it would have been obviously really nice to have them there as well. And, and Shane talked about his old man not being there and his family not being there. So, it's a very real thing having that family connection as part, and you know, wanting to share that moment with your family. And um, yeah, look, there's been obviously a lot of people have had to make a lot of sacrifices this year for the championship to to continue. I mean, everyone knows about the sacrifices the Victorian teams have had to make uh, being on the road for over a hundred days. And I mean, that's incredible. So whilst yes, it was disappointing that the kids weren't there and Leanne wasn't there. Um, I was on the FaceTime pretty quickly after and, um, and they were pretty stoked. They don't normally watch all of the race. They normally off, they get bored as they do as young kids do. Um, But, um, but they, they watched a fair bit of it. So um, they were pretty cool. They were pretty happy. Speaking of kids, uh, Nick Perkett, when he won it with you those years ago, was a kid. He's turned into a pretty mature driver in 2020. What an amazing year it's been for him and others who have tasted victory and podiums for the first time. Do you sort of sit back and have a little bit of a smile and feel like a, a, a proud moment when you, you see that sort of stuff happening? Uh, yeah, a little bit. You start to sound old now when you talk about that stuff. But, <laughs> um, but yeah, look, certainly Nick this year's has taken, it seems to have taken a step up. You know, he's, he looks like he's, he's obviously worked pretty hard on his preparation, his fitness. Um, I actually, when we were still allowed to go to the go-kart tracks, I was going to the track with the kids, taking them to the track and Nick could often be there with his cart because we know that he does a lot of karting and just talking a lot of stuff. He's certainly matured. I think he's probably really started to embrace that almost team leader role at BJR now. And it does take a little while for you to get your head around how you're going to be that person and how you are going to be a leader within a team. So it looks like he's sort of started to get his head around that. And yeah, like you said, there's been plenty of others. I think Cam Waters definitely has made a big step yeah, this sure. year. Uh, and he's probably the same at Tickford. He's probably now realised that he's the team leader in the organisation as far as the drivers go and is comfortable in that role. Um, Todd Hazelwood has obviously made a step going to BJR. So there's a lot of the younger guys now that are starting to step up. Um, and look, that's, that's just generational. It happens, you know, you know, you go back 20 years and it was Lowndes, myself and Jason Bright, and, yeah. you know, that were probably the guys that were in that generation. And now we're the old blokes and the same, will, there'll be another flush out in another 10 years and, and um, there'll be other new kids coming through. So um, yeah, it's good to see. I thought it was nice as well, GT, that all three spots on the podium were filled by drivers that you've either won the race with or been on the podium with. So Wilbur there in second place, driving with Cam. And um, Warren Luff, who racks up Bathurst podiums like it's his day job, um, was there as well with Chazzy. So that was a a really cool thing. And of course, Shane, who you finished second with last year. Um, Last one for me, mate. This must... um, Nice to go into a negotiation with RD just to extend that deal as a Bathurst winner. Surely, how long do you keep doing this for? I try to get him get the deal done on Sunday, but he was too. He was on to me. He was wise. I'm not sure. We'll. We'll. He, we said we'll talk this week, so we'll talk this week and um, and um, make something happen. So um, yeah, look, I cannot be happier in the environment that I the, and the role that I'm in now at Triple Eight at Red Bull Holden because they are they look after me incredibly well. They're incredibly welcoming to me. Um, Shane and Shippy um, put a lot of faith in me to do a lot of the you know background work uh, at the endurance events, and um, I really enjoy it. So um, yeah, look, as long as as long as I'm still contributing and still capable of going fast, then uh, I'd love to be continue to do it. And a final one from me, mate. You've been uh, at the Bathurst Twelve Hour for the last five years in an Audi. Unfortunately, though, if you thought you were going to go back there for another stint in 2021, as we know, it's not going to happen. That's a a real disappointment. Yeah, uh, look, it is a disappointment, but I think ultimately it was inevitable. Um, just, you know, logistics. I mean, realistically, the cars would almost, if they were coming sea freight, which a lot of them do, they'd have to be almost on their way by the end of this month. And, you know, there's just not that certainty around international travel at the moment. So, 
Um, it, it does. I think it was inevitable. Um, it's a real shame, like you said, because the, the, the event at the start of this year, it almost feels like last year now when we talk about the February race, but um, it's the, in the level now of that race is just sky high. It's crazy how intense that one is and how fast it is and just the level of cars and drivers that come out for it. So I certainly hope it doesn't lose its, its momentum uh, by skipping a year, but even just talking to all my Audi teammates, they're, they're devastated. They, they love coming down here. Um, you know, a lot of them actually almost starting to skip Daytona so they can come to Bathurst. That's what it means to them. So, yeah, um, so yeah look, I, I hope that um, 2022 it's back on and, uh, and we can continue the momentum that that event has, has started to build. Are you keeping fit? Because there's still a chance, I think, that you might get a drive in December at Sandown in the TCRs. Is there a, a Shannon's round or something happening around there? I'm not sure at this point. I'm, I don't think anyone is, to be honest. Yeah. Um, so, look, you know, we were looking at doing TCR this year and obviously that didn't happen for the championship. If if it is uh, just a sort of non-championship race, I don't think we'd bother running, to be honest with you. I think we'd just get ready for next year. I think that's probably the smart play. Um, you know, I, I think it's got to the point now where we'd be better off sort of just, you know, hold your gun. Yeah, hold your guns and have a bigger year next year. So, um, but that's not for me to decide. So, um, if they want to have a race and it's just a one-off thing, good on them. But um, you know, I'm pretty keen for a championship, so we'll we'll focus on that. Well done, mate. Congratulations! Yes, a fantastic drive with you and Shane on the weekend, and uh, yeah, may that continue that partnership for a long time yet, because there could be another one or two in there for you, mate. Cheers, guys. Thank you. Great to have him back, Mark Walker. Welcome back to you, sir. Shebexter, Krause, uh, this is a sad fact of life, but I've talked to you two lads more than I have my wife this last week. <laughs> here, here, second uh, that. Well, I can't compare that to anything. I've spoken to you two blokes more than anybody in the last <laughs> week. So it's as simple as that. Hey, it's been fun though. Uh, mm. is, uh, they were a good four days. I know we missed being there. I know all that sort of stuff. And and we, we look back at it now and think, geez, it would have been great to be there, but it was still great to be involved in some sort of way and to watch what we watched. That was a really enthralling and entertaining four days of racing. Yeah. It makes it easier when the coverage is so good and there's so many resources you can lean on. But I mean, imagine doing what we did or trying to do what we did without social media, for example, it would be a real challenge. Um, And even just having stuff like the, uh, teams audio and that popping up and live timing and it just it made it so much better so no i'm very proud of what we turned out from a podcast wise from the website on the race talk everything is up well on what it was last year so um if you're listening to this and you followed our content and our rubbish over the weekend thanks for for joining in we enjoyed pumping it out let's never miss it again though boys oh, i can't do it again once, once is okay but uh i'm never not missing that race grace uh, that great race again yeah the thing that's sad for me is that it's now the off season. It's all over. Yeah. What do we do now? Oh, like, seriously, what do we too. do now? Yeah. Like, life yeah. isn't back to normal yet. And what do we got? <laughs> we got yeah. nothing to right. tell you. Normally, we'd we'll be, so. we'll be two weeks away from going to the Gold Coast. And... Oh, we'd be a week away, Shebex, because it was a week later this year anyway. Yeah, like, that's true, be, too. Yeah. It'd be this Thursday. We'd be at the Clock Tower Hotel having our, having our uh, annual get together with podcast audience, singular. So, um, <laughs> old mate rocks up and says, oh, I listen to the podcast. Oh, you're the guy. Um, so yeah, it, it's, it's a weird, weird year. Um, and it just keeps getting stranger and having to deal with, yeah, a massively long off season. But what we saw was a terrific motor race and, uh, a really good result. And we've just had a cracking chat with GT, who is a just fantastically well-deserving winner once again. And for Shane Van Gisbergen to finally break the duck, and remove the asterisk from his career CV that he's won everything else except the great race. Um, it was enormous. So terrific result. And just so many storylines, boys, as there always is after Bathurst. But you work through that top half a dozen, top 10 cars, just so much good stuff out of it as well, I thought. Like just lots to wrap your teeth around from, from such a cool motor race. Right. So I went and broke this race down. I looked at the stats, looked at the... Uh, 
the running order up there in that soft and just, just try and figure it out a bit where things went right and where things went wrong. So obviously Scotty McLaughlin led away in car 17. He was up against a lot of the co-drivers. Mm. He ran a very similar strategy to his successful campaign last year by running 19 laps in that first stint, which is what he did last year. And it worked out perfect for them then because they ran one less pit stop than everyone else. Mm. The problem is this year, everyone else ran a little bit longer than that. Some of those other cars like GT ran out to 22 laps. And that was laps tallied to the co-drivers, which ultimately put them that much further ahead where it sunk Tim Slade later on in the day. So we'll get to that. So uh, 17 led uh, until lap 33, except for that pit stop shuffle. Uh, six got ahead during the pit stop shuffle when Winkop got fenced and the safety car came out on lap 33. Uh, car six then led until SVG passed Will Davison on lap 56 when it started to rain. rain. Yep. SVG yep. came into his own and got out in front. Car 97 then led 104 of the last 105 laps. Yeah. Dominant. Yeah. So Scotty fell back to fifth in the rain there in lap 55, whereas Fabian got up into second. So that was that first little thing there that put 17 behind and that that dig themselves out to avoid getting stacked later on, which they did. 17 wound up getting out and head, except mm. that safety car in lap 97 when Jack Smith got punted into the sand trap. Yeah. Obviously, Slade hadn't done his time but everyone else did. So from then on, it was Slade against all the main drivers. 17 17 restarted in second spot, got passed by Waters on lap 100, passed by uh, Mostert on lap 104, passed by Fabian on 106. So Scott, they've managed to weave their magic again there with the undercut because they sort of short-pitted Slade there for his sixth stop and they got Scotty out ahead of Fabs, but it got reversed in that last pit stop shuffle. So uh, that... uh, and he just uh, sort of let Fabs have it there at the end. He didn't didn't make any big attacks. I think it was yeah. like, well, my deal's done here. Let Fabs have this. There was no point. He was just too far behind in fifth. It was just too far back to mm. put on attack. But car six was never out of the top three all day long. Yeah. Yeah, which backs up how good Tickford were. I don't think 17 had the pace. It was fast but, early, but he was against co-drivers. I don't think they had the raw outright speed. If, if it was a shootout at the end, I'm not convinced that car was as good over a distance mm. as the 97 was, and even the six, which was so fast early in a stint, especially. Um, I, I we'll, just, I'm not we'll sure never if anyone would have beaten who was there. No, I know he won't. Exactly. That's the thing. But it's clear that that, that safety car a lap before Slade needed to pit was what turned the race yep. and effectively Could they ruled them out of contention. No. Nah. Well, no, yeah, the safety car didn't come out. No, no, but, Slade, but could they have taken Slade out and given him a couple of laps down the track somewhere? They couldn't have, could they? They had you're to exposed. They... You're exposed anyway. Yeah, you, he would have been exposed to the main drivers at one point or another. So it was safer strategically just to keep him in the car and then get him done so Scott could finish the race. But by then, it was done. From, but from did they overcompensate? Because I think you only need to do another two laps. They kept him in for what another dozen or so. Yeah, but from a fuel point of view, it wouldn't had have to. worked, mate. They yeah. had to. They yeah. had to keep going for at least long enough to get them into that next window. Yeah. Even though the subsequent stop was going to be a bit longer, because they um, obviously they were shorter on fuel compared to everyone else around them. In absolute hindsight, they would have if they kept Scotty in for the start to break the back at the start. There, <clears throat> they would have pitted him a bit shorter. Yeah. Uh, so get get Slady in there for a longer first stint to get those laps out of the way then. And the other thing in hindsight, they wouldn't have let it rain. Yeah. Well, that too. Yeah. I, I know Rogers Penske's connected, but I don't think he's got Not with the weather line. machine. No, I don't <laughs> think so. <laughs> yeah. That was, it was odd though, Mark, that I agree though, that that lap 19 pit stop at work last year, but it's slightly odd, isn't it? It's sort of half pregnant because you're either it's 14. Everyone was sort of 14 or they're going right into the race on a on a full load, like 21, 22, 23. 19's sort of like they're working to a number, but they could probably go a few more laps to extend that window if they needed to. So it's always surprised me a little bit. But it's what they did last year to arrive at their seven pit stops. Which, yeah, which worked, sure. Which worked last year, which didn't work this year. So yeah, yeah. And once again, there's no doubt that the co-drivers played, and we talk about the, the work that the main drivers did, but the co-drivers in those teams that all podiumed, played a massive part in those cars being up there. And we look at the stints of Will Davison early on and being able to keep the pace in those first, in that first stint with Scott McLaughlin. I yeah. mean, he only dropped off by about seven or eight seconds to Scott 
who was just going gangbusters. And then we see this pace of Slade early on too, and his ability to be able to stay up there as well. And it took a while for the guys to run him down. I think Cam Waters was the one who eventually ran him down in the end. So that Will Davison, exactly, it, it was just a really good effort by all the co-drivers up the top. I thought the co-drivers were probably the, the big story of the day because there were so many predictions of doom from all of us as well mm. about how far out of their depth they may be. But there were some amazing co-driver stints. Like Warren Luff on several occasions was just comfortably running yeah. with guys that were really fast around him. And he hasn't been in a car at all this year. Um, other Dean Fiore drove brilliantly. His opening stint, he gained position at the start of the motor race against other co-drivers who have done much more racing than he has this year. Um, and then he did everything he needed to do early on in the DeWalt car. And the list goes on. Bieber in, in Winterbottom's car was very, very sharp. And I, I thought the co-drivers were probably a great success story despite their lack of prep and the lack of a real warm-up. They were, they were outstanding. And, of course, the guys on the podium were even better than outstanding. Um, yeah. hard, hard to separate. Gartander was as fast as any of the Level 1 drivers and as consistent. And Will Davison was very much the same. So, as you would expect from both of those guys. Yeah, car 25 with uh, Luffy in it. He sort of ran around fifth and sixth all day on the charts. Uh, Chaz got it up into fourth on lap 38, I do believe. But it wasn't until lap 104 when Chaz finally cracked the top three. They just mm. snuck up on it all day long, just picked off one or two. That's the as, as Scotty, strategy, yep, though. Mm. As Scotty had his dramas, like they were never the, the leading two. They never had the, the real absolute leading pace of 97 and six. But uh, Chaz just did the job there and brought home third. So, guys, explain to me, how do these guys do it? Garth Tanders, Warren Luffs, those sort of blokes who can just jump in a car for the first time in a year at Bathurst, the hardest track, the biggest race, the most demand around a driver in regards to what you can do on the track and get it so right every time they pretty much jump in? Well, I think they're just bloody good, Shebex. <laughs> That's obvious. <laughs> I'm not a racing car driver, so I can't tell you, but... Look, I, I would imagine that, A, the, the level of fitness that all of these guys keep throughout the year, regardless of driving or not, is very, very high. So physically, they're switched on. Mentally, they're switched on. Simulators have to play a role, um, even just keeping you sharp with that hand-eye thing. And, and drivers yeah. have talked about that playing a role. And and I'm sure that was good for, for Wilbur and the E-Series. He continued that on. Um, all of those things would help. But I, I think it just comes down to the fact that... Um, they're just bloody good racing car drivers. But but as well, you look at those co-drivers in that top 10 of that motor race. So Garth Tander, what, 23 Bathurst starts now. Will Davison's won it twice. Warren Luff's been on the podium a thousand times. Tony D'Alberto's a podium finisher. Tim Slade's got 300 supercar starts. Dean Fiore, under the radar, but has a lot of supercar experience and a lot of Bathurst starts to his credit. Michael Caruso has been there for 20 years. James Golding, relevant full-time experience a couple of years ago. You know, the first one without any real up-to-date experience is Brody Kostecki in ninth and um, Brock Feeney in 10th place in his first race. So I was really impressive, by the way, on his 18th birthday. So you look at that top seven drivers, top eight drivers, and they're all sharp, relevant, current drivers with experience at Bathurst and, and of any racetrack in the world where you can rely on that prior experience to get up to speed and be fast, but also be consistent over a distance and know how the car's going to change and behave. It's Mount Panorama. So I really, it's that race where experience does actually count. You mentioned Brody Kostecki there. What's your take on the whole Erebus thing? I mean, Brody copped a fair bit of stick there from, from different corners for battling hard, but he battled hard because he mm. didn't have the car under him just to hold his own. He had to try and fend off everyone. Ultimately, the pressure he put on the others put Wink up in the fence. He didn't touch him. Wink up drove himself yeah. into the fence because it was just such a big hard battle out there. But at the same time, you run the risk when you're driving that hard, lap 30 of a 161 lap race, that you're going to get fenced yourself. Yeah. But what do you do? as team management in that situation to try and mitigate that. Because it's all good and well to back your guy that he's not going to drive it in the fence. But if you want to battle that hard and ferociously, somebody's just as likely to turn you. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, yeah. I'm, I'm in two minds of it. And I, I had a few run-ins with some nuffies on Twitter about this on Sunday, but <laughs> I, I was of the opinion that on lap 37 with 
a serious lack of raw car pace compared to everyone around that the, the better decision would have been to play the long game and just not fight so hard. Let him go. Like don't risk being put in the wall with 130 laps of the race to go. If it's lap 140, 150, even racing to the final pit stop. So you've got track position. So you're avoiding stacking or being caught in the lane. No worries. Go your hardest. You probably should be free to go after a hundred, but I just thought that early he was driving that thing so hard to stay in front of that pack that even if he didn't end up being fenced or didn't fence somebody, he might've fenced himself. And he was off at the chase three times in that race, outbraked himself and off the road on his own and shortcutted once at skyline. So they're the little one percenters that at that place can turn into a minor off, but can turn from that into a really big shunt a couple of times. And there are a couple of those rejoins off the chase that was almost Tandra McLaughlin a couple of years ago. So they're the little one percenters that I got a little bit frustrated with. So, but what, what do you do? How do you slow them down? Sometimes you've just got to let them go and do their thing because they're more comfortable. But yeah, as for Erebus, they were, they were strange on the yeah. weekend. A- Anton ran third early because he made a great start, but didn't have pace. They were down on grunt. And then, Reynolds thing dropped a cylinder later in the race as well. But even before he dropped a cylinder, Shebex, it wasn't fast. That car right. was anonymous. Yeah. And and if it's one thing that I would never want to be at Bathurst, it's anonymous. Be horrible, be out early, or be really good. But like 11th, 12th is just ugh, nothing. Not You're not even in the show. Just before we finish the chat on the on the Triple Eight, and, I, and I'm not for one minute suggesting that 97 wouldn't have won had Triple Eight have stayed in the race, but I wonder how much it, that car being out so early helped the 97 to win. As we heard Garth say before, all the resources of Triple Eight then went into the 97 car mm-hmm. and the ability for guys just to pick up a little thing here or there that maybe someone else may not have seen and stuff. As I said, I'm not for one minute suggesting that that car would not have won because it was a fantastic car all weekend, but I just reckon it was a, a, a massive godsend for it that they had all focus on it. But the thing was that they were never going to stack anyway because they were ahead. They were absolutely smashing Triple Eight. Mm. So there was a bit of a moot point. Like that was always the problem I had in my mind with those two cars is that somebody would have had to have stacked. But the fact that Jamie fell out early it wouldn't have mattered because car 97 was out in front and doing the job. So, but yeah, obviously having all the King's horses and all the King's men, they're looking at the computer screens and thinking about that one car. It couldn't have hurt. But, no. and, and do you know what for mine, Shebex, I thought Sunday was a bit endemic of triple eight as a year. Um, one car was yes. awesome. And almost unbeatable. The other one was a bit oh, nowhere right. and, and in the fence. And, and for most go, of that time, it was the other way around. It was Jamie who was awesome. Yeah, pretty much correct. Year, and it was Shane but, who was a bit indifferent. But I think my point to that is, is that they've been hit or miss. They've been a bit hot or cold on occasion this year. And we've talked about it a lot on the podcast. Um, and you go back to the first two races back. Now you could forgive everyone for being inconsistent in those first two rounds back at Sydney Motorsport Park with a mixed tie rule and everything going on. But then you look at car 17 and he was on the podium in five of the six races. Um, Shane Van Gisbergen had a second in the first of those races and then didn't trouble the top three since. Jamie was on the podium in all three of the first races back at Sydney and then had an absolute mare at the next round and was absolutely pee nowhere. And then even later in the season at the first bend, Jamie 18th, 17th and third. Um, Shane, ninth, first and 14th. So it, that, that inconsistency throughout the year has been the difference between the Red Bulls and the Scott McLaughlin. Um, and I think that just carried on a little bit over the weekend and they executed perfectly with 97. And for whatever reason, Triple Eight just didn't nail it for whatever reason. Uh, driver, engineering, car pace, whatever it might have been, they've always been a little bit off from that car 17 for the, the balance of the season. One storyline from the day that's had a bit of an impact on the TV figures was the pace of the day, which Mm. was something that I didn't really expect because we had five safety cars for 10 laps, plus that rain in the middle of the race that slowed things down. So we wound up with a race time of six hours, 10 minutes, 56 seconds. Second all time to 2018, which had three safety cars for six laps, which they got the race completed in six hours, one minute, 44. Then you go back to 2013, which had two safety cars for six laps, six, uh, six hours, 11, 
and 2010 had four safety cars for 12 laps, which was 6.12. So interesting pace over the years. Obviously, 2010, we've talked about that recently, that awesome stint by Craig Lowndes where it was just panning out fast laps all day. But that pace on the weekend with five safety cars for 10 laps and the rain to get that race done in six hours and 10 minutes was an incredible pace. Yeah, it, it certainly was. was. Richard, talk us through the TV runnings. We well, did a little bit of stuff on this on the uh, on the race talk earlier in the week. Yeah, I'll come to that in just a section, Bex. Just on the race pace thing, I, I crunched a few little numbers. And I, I reckon, so the rain didn't actually play as much of a role in terms of lap speed as it may have done. And in four laps, they went from doing 2 minute 20 to 208s. So it dried out really quickly. So the the lack loss of race time for the wet conditions, I don't think influenced it too much. Uh, that last Jack Smith safety car where I ended up really bunkered down at par 18 at the bottom of the um, uh, hole 18 at the bottom of the chase there. I, if that safety car hadn't have happened, it, the Kostecki um, forward one at the end, fine, because it was only two laps. But I think the the Jack Smith one, if that one hadn't have happened, I reckon that cost about 10 minutes yeah. in terms of race time. So it, it could have been sub six hours for the first time in race history had that perhaps not happened. And maybe the rain, I don't know. But it's going to happen at some point. We're going to have a sub six hour Bathurst 1000. Um, TV ratings. We, we chart the TV ratings pretty closely on the racetalk.com. And uh, our mates at KO Sports have been good enough to feed us some figures on how Bathurst did on the weekend. So the Australian TV ratings industry, you get the five city Metro audience for free to air and you get the Fox sports number. And then separately to that, you get a regional free to air audience number and you smash them all together and you get the total audience. But what generally doesn't get released is the growing number of people watching on streaming and especially in Australia on KO sports, which is Foxtel's 24 seven, all sports, app streaming app where you can watch all their slate of sports nrl afl supercars cricket etc etc Friday, 25 dollars um, a month for two connections oh come on mate they're not sponsoring us yet so uh, <laughs> let's not go too hard on the adverts um so the audience on the great race this year was down and it was down about two hundred thousand people on last year so about 20 percent um on the basis that the race didn't run very long into prime time so the later in the day you go the higher the audience goes because everyone's migrating to your couch. There's other elements as well. I think the build-up probably cost them. And honestly, I think the fact that there were two, well, actually four football finals on the weekend as well, probably hurt the Sunday audience because, you know, everyone's strapped for time. They split their time. Oh, we, we're going to be on the couch for this. We'll go and do something else when we're not on the couch on Friday night, watching the footy or whatever it might be. Usually Bathurst is in completely clean air and doesn't compete with football. So I think that played a role. But regardless, um, the KO audience was 77 unique, 77,000 unique viewers on KO Sports watching digitally. So the streaming audience was quite substantial. What I think is even more impressive is how Bathurst compares to the football finals. So if you're not familiar with the way TV in Australia works, in Australian sport, it's AFL and NRL first and everything else somewhere else below it during the, the winter season. But on Sunday, um, the great race on digital, on subscription TV, 424,000 total audience. The biggest show outside of that was the Port Adelaide v. Richmond prelim on Friday night, which is primetime highest TV audience of the week at 476. She was not much difference. This is why Foxtel throw money at supercars because it rates. And I've spoken to a couple of insiders at Fox footy on Monday and they were all sitting there going, we cannot believe the audience's supercars dragged to the platform. So it just explains why they continue to invest in supercars moving forward. And I was always pretty confident that they continue to do so. The, the weak link just to finish on this is channel 10 and their audience was the lowest free to wear audience in Bathurst history. Wow. And a lot of that is down to finishing time. Yes. But the lack of an audience to promote to going into it. So next year on Channel 7, which is Australia's highest rated TV network, um, all of a sudden you're going to have this slate of high rating news, high rating reality TV, everything around it. That they'll be able to, And not to mention the footy to absolutely smash. Hey, Bathurst is on this weekend. Make sure you tune in. 
So a bigger audience in the lead-in to promote to is going to translate into a bigger audience on race day. So I'm not worried about the figures on Sunday. I think they're pretty decent. Um, and the digital numbers especially are really impressive for the sport moving forward. There were a couple other things that were pushing and pulling at people on Sunday. Also had this netball final, had the Ra Ra Rugby, had their Bledisloe Cup match. And also the Dan Andrews presser started at 11am and went for two hours. So that wouldn't have helped. Dan outrated the Bledisloe and the um, the Super Netball final as well. Wow, so go. the press conference is about the second most watched thing on the day. But, um, hey, we spoke a lot go. about winners on the day. Let's talk about a couple of the losers on the day. And I, I think Joe Jones Racing will talk about in just one sec because they had a shot. But I think one of the biggest losers on the day was Jamie as well. The fact that he went from second in the championship and missed out on the podium there and finished fourth, that was a massive loss. Yeah, I I don't know if there's much more I can add intelligently to what's already been said about Jamie. To be honest with you, it just one of those weekends for the the, the goat, and yeah, he, he struggled. And but there were a couple of errors, weren't there? Like fired it off the road a couple of times as well. Shootout lap wasn't great. Dropped it. Um, he, yeah. he nearly he nearly dropped it at the end of his qualifying lap there on Friday as well. Yes. Like there yeah. was some just little ones. I wonder how that's going to play in his mind because it he's always sort of said that he doesn't want to hang around forever. He doesn't want to overstay his welcome. I'm sure he, he analyzes things very closely. I think that's how he's always sort of gone about his business. I wonder how this is going to play in his mind over the off season. I think it was clear Shebex that this year, perhaps extended his career by a season. I, I reckon a lot of people maybe thought that this year might've been the last, but I think the Rona deal and everything going on might've actually given him another year, but yeah, I, I don't want to speculate about when Jamie can give it up. He's earned the right to give it up whenever the hell he wants. Mm. So, you know, A, he co-owns the team. And B, um, he's he's a Hall of Famer and one of the best there's been. So he, he should be able to dictate when he jumps out of the seat. No doubt about it. Brad Jones Racing. Oh. Uh, I really oh. hope that yeah. they uh, – and I, and I know they won't because they've had a great year. I hope their season isn't defined by this one race. Well, ironically, it might be because – they, they were a shot at one point for, if not P4, P5 in the team's championship, and they finished eighth. So they were beaten by WAU, Team 18, Charlie Schwerkolt, and even Erebus, who managed to finish fifth in the team's title, which I think is a bit of a surprise. So, um, yeah, what a what a shocker. So it will impact them into next year with with pit, pit lane allocations in the in the picking order. I don't think it will define the year, Shebex, because Brad Jones Racing have been one of the great stories Without of the season doubt. with the pace, especially from Nick Perkat, who's been awesome. But you couldn't factor in much of a worse weekend than the one they had on the weekend. Oh, it was extraordinary. Just, and it has, I don't necessarily believe in luck, boys, but there has to be an element of that in it, surely, because you just can't, no amount of bad preparation could throw some of the stuff that happened to them on the weekend. It just doesn't seem right. It almost doesn't seem fair. But it's they, they had crazy. two cars. They had two cars stuffed by the first lap. Yeah. I mean, Percat's thing had power steering dramas on the outlap. Yeah. Uh, and Macaulay's car had the door blowing wide open. Like, which it had a couple of times over the weekend. I just which can't we, believe it wasn't fixed. We put it in Saturday's knots as well. This is a very soft knot, but you know, no <laughs> doubt they'll sort this out. By, they did not sort nope. that by Sunday. <laughs> Yeah, I, you know, I actually felt a little bit sorry for Jack and Jack because um, they were going along, aside from, you know, the, the contact down there from Macaulay didn't help their cause. But um, aside, when that, if that puncture hadn't happened, they were on for a half reasonable result. Yeah. Well, they're not going to be in the top 10, but I actually thought they did a pretty solid job all day in car four. So that was probably a little bit frustrating, but um, yeah, what a, what a weekend for BJR. But that place must give Brad nightmares, surely. Oh, no doubt about it. Absolutely no doubt about it. I thought the uh, the Cali cars, uh, Rick obviously had the clutch problem, so we take that out of the equation. But even the Heimgartner car, it wasn't too bad and it was really screwed over by a weird strategy to call him in for wets when nobody else seemed to want to do it. It was a... Yeah. I don't mind the call. Like, you, if you're buried in the field... Hurt them, though. If, yeah, but if it had rained for the rest of the day, they would have looked like heroes because they would have blazed to the front as everyone else stopped. Yep. Um, so you got to roll the dice, I yeah. think. Yeah, it, it cost them, but it's Bathurst. If if you're not if you're not 
got a car that's going to win you on raw speed um, and you're not in that top half a dozen, then you may as well just have a crack because what have you got to lose, really? I mean, what's the difference in finishing ninth or 11th for mine? No, you're right. I don't think if you're not in contention for the championship, it probably doesn't mean a huge amount. I felt for Rico, though. That was um, that was a frustrating day. Yeah, it certainly was. Uh, the rookies, Mark, what were your take? Well, there were seven rookies. And, I mean, the only one that really came unstuck repeatedly was Jaden Ojeda because mm-hmm. uh, he's come out today and the press and said he fenced himself there on Sunday. Yep. It wasn't a component break that put him in there. He stuffed it. So he had a tough weekend. He had two identical crashes at the cutting, speared off a few times and had that final crash on race day. So that was a tough one. But the rest of the rookies... He did finish second in Super 2, though, so it sort of gave him some sort of hope for the weekend, didn't it? Yeah, there was that one... Uh, Brock Feeney was the the top place rookie there. So he he did a great job. Uh, You know, he had to bounce back after riding his Super 2 car off on Saturday, which is which is a big thing to do because that's going to knock you around. I mean, and and it knock you around physically too. Like you're going to, you're going to be bruised and battered after a shunt like that. So for him to come out and, uh, you know, they had dramas there in the warm-up too, remember? So that thing was wobbling around in the the warm-up with some dramas. So to see them, drag a, a top 10 out of that. That was good. Uh, and they were followed home by Dylan O'Keefe, who just uh, kept his nose clean yep. uh, all day long there on 11th. Uh, the rest of them are a little bit further down the order. Obviously, Jordan Boys had a tough one. He he parked it in the fence on Friday and did it again on race day. Unforced errors both occasions. So he'll learn from that and um, come back bigger and better in the future. Away from rookies, Richard, uh, Jonathan Webb, impressive. When you talk about the impressive drive of co-drivers, I thought well, he was pretty good. I'll tell you what, he and Alex Davison were pretty solid all weekend, weren't they? Um, Alex especially was quite fast yeah. um, for Team Sydney, which isn't a line that's often been said this year So, um, with respect to the team. So, no, I, I thought they they were good. And and like I said earlier, Shebex, I, I reckon that's just that whole Bathurst experience thing you can – with that miles and the experience yeah. you've got at that joint, you can haul a car that may not be quite so good a little bit further up the order. So I thought they did a pretty solid job. Um, a few other MIAs though, um, after being fast on Friday, Holdsworth and Caruso sort of seventh is decent, but it wasn't outstanding and they never really looked like being outright contenders over the course of Correct. the day. So Tickford sort of ended up with a solid day, but not really with, with really only the one of their four guns in the barrel, um, as a, as a proper outright contender, I suppose. Uh, Holtworth Caruso, they obviously had the cool suit dramas and the radio yeah. problems. So they had a few little niggling dramas that, uh, that uh, did their race in. But you talk about uh, Jono Webb. Obviously, those guys, having those regular safety cars, mm. having the five safety cars just kept them on the lead lap. I mean, that's you finish on the lead lap, you can finish anywhere. Their fastest race lap, 207, 1875. Yeah, fast, was it? Get it's I mean that's second and a half off the yeah. pace. Yeah. Reynolds and Brown, their fastest race lap, two oh seven one eight seven three. Jeez, yeah. Like Reynolds was as fast as the team Sydney car. It yeah. tells a story, doesn't it? Yep. Yeah. Yeah, that that's a that's a surprise. Um yeah, the Reynolds thing. I, I would love to know what, what went on in car nine over the weekend because they were nowhere. But but they weren't even fast in a practice session, really, were they? Yep. I think Will Brown was sold in a couple of the co-driver sessions, but they they struggle straight. The, the best they were was that first session of yeah. uh, Thursday morning. The, the thing for mine is Decade Dave, nine years left on his contract, and all the talk is that he won't be seeing out the next nine years there. The, the silly season, it's been weird because we haven't had all the media and all the hangers-on and all the people who generate the chat, all the sponsors yeah. and whatnot, walking around the paddock talking to everyone else. The, the dirty laundry hasn't been aired. So there's so much to play out in the silly season that's happening behind closed doors that we're just not being exposed to this year, which is pretty unusual. And I, I think there's going to be some big moves happening. Well, do we want to have a chat about that or do we want to say that for maybe next week? Because well, that, that's an episode in itself. Let's not burn all the content now. We're in the world. <laughs> that's a good idea. Season. <laughs> <laughs> it's a good idea. Uh, one thing we do know, though, is there definitely will be a seat right there at uh, DJR Tempensky. Scott McLaughlin ain't coming back. No, I don't think so. I don't think so. Really interested to see how it goes this weekend. Real, it's a massively tough thing that he's doing this weekend. I I don't think it's been 
undersold, but I don't think the the peril of what he's getting into has been quite explained because yeah. aside from delving into a championship fight and, and Joseph Newgarden's reeled Scott Dixon in over the last couple of rounds, so there's a proper arm wrestle for the IndyCar title, Ganassi and Penske going at it again. It's like DJR and, um, and Triple Eight here for the last couple of years. It's just an awesome battle. But at that track, so Scotty was originally going to go and run at the Indy GP where there's quite a lot of runoff and there's room where you can make some errors and feed yourself off the road and be okay at a lot of that venue. Um, he's going to St. Petersburg, which is aside from the start finish straight, which is on a runway, the rest of it is properly quick and properly tight and narrow. And bumpy. if you haven't, yeah. And bumpy, real bumpy. And that, that back chicane, that right left chicane that brings you around into the final corner is a 150 mile an hour chicane where all the downforce and the aero. So he's delving into a team trying to fight for a championship um, with four really competitive cars at a really rough, fast, aggressive street circuit in a field. And, and Roger Penske said it on Sunday morning at the great race that at the last round, the whole field was covered by nine tenths in qualifying. Mm. So it's brutally competitive. Um, he's got a massive ask to do. I think some people might be expecting him to go there and put the thing on pole. It ain't going to happen. Um, if he makes the top 12 in qualifying, I reckon that is an enormous victory. But I think if he gets onto the back row of the grid within a few tenths of the next best, that's a massive tick for Scott McLaughlin and keep the thing out the fence. So it's a huge ask. It's a massive, massive challenge. But um, all power to him. And if anyone can do it, probably scott mclaughlin we've seen recently some very well credentialed highly experienced guys stepping back into indycar to replace some drivers and they've been nowhere like they've got all the experience in the world in the cars and all these other drivers have had a whole season to get themselves battle ready and match fit and these other guys coming back have have struggled i mean scotty obviously did that test day at uh, coda was right up there at the top of the leaderboard and but everyone else has had a whole season under their belt now. Yeah. The, the thing for it? mine, sorry, Shex, uh, Shebex, the thing for mine is um, the one compare I did like, uh, and it's a similar sort of scenario was when um, Sam Schmidt brought Robbie Wickens over from DTM and everyone was like, who and why? Um, but, and they bought a touring car driver over admittedly with an open wheel background before that, but he'd been solidly in DTM for a long time and went in and was quick straight away. So um that's probably the most relevant Compero. But then even then a DTM car is loaded with downforce. It's a wings and slicks car with a roof. So um, yeah, she's, she's a tough old ask. Where can we see it? Where can we see it? Are you angling for some sponsorship here, Shebex? Or have you, no, actually, no, got a, you, have you it, actually got a deal with Fox? It, it is on Fox, tell you. Tip some money. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah, yeah sure. They're showing IndyCar Live. I would imagine it'll be early Monday morning, Australia time. I haven't checked yet. They're showing quality as well. But uh, I'll be watching because I'm keen to see how um, how the boy goes. I think it's a great story. And I'd love nothing more than to see him over there racing next year. That'd be, that'd be awesome. Uh, just on that, Mark, you obviously had a little bit to do with uh, Marcus Ambrose through his time in NASCAR. Should Scott get a full-time drive in IndyCar next year? Obviously, a lot of the work that's going to be done with him over the next six or so months is getting him familiar with ovals. Absolutely, but he, he's tested over there and he was quick in the tests. I mean, he's obviously just hugely nat naturally gifted. I mean, you look at what he's done in the supercars and so much of his success is just that Scott factor, isn't it? The mm. cars are all very similar, but he can go out there and screw those qualifying laps out which is just incredible. He's just got such a great feel for his V8 supercar. Whether he can translate that over to an IndyCar, he obviously hasn't had the chance yet, but he is going into it with the best team, the very best team. Yeah. He's been given the best cars, the best people. He's got Rick Mears in his pocket. Yes. You know, like if you could have anyone telling you what to do, you want Rick Mears telling you what to do. And, and then reporting back to Roger Penske that you can do the job. Because yeah. Rick Mears is one of the few people that Roger allegedly really relies on for that kind of info. I think the telling thing for mine is that Roger Penske doesn't hire morons. Yeah. Um, and you look at the NASCAR team and you look at the IndyCar team. So the IndyCar team this year is Joseph Newgarden, who's won the championship. Elio Castroneves did the Indy 500. He's won that race four times. Um, Will Power, who's a champion, won the Indy 500. And now the fifth most winning driver in IndyCar history, I think. And Simon Pagano has won the championship a couple of times as well and the Indy 500. So 
he's he's bringing in Scott McLaughlin to join that group of people. There must be something internally it. there that's made them go, yeah, this is a pretty good bet. Um, yeah. Yeah. yeah, it's it's bloody exciting though, Shebex. It really is, and and I think for us as well, because when we're all old enough, Mark and I especially, because um, you're a bit older than us, Shebex, um, that we've been there for the journey for Scotty. Yep. Like we were there in that epic Super Two season, the best season of DBS that there's ever been. We were there at Homebush when. He jumped into the GRM car when Alex Pramat got, ironically, it was Frenchie who he would later go on to win Bathurst with, um, got heat stroke and had to sit the yes. Sunday race out and Gary gave him that shot. We were there with the um, pluck it in first and yeah, at the Adelaide 500. And so we've, we've ridden the roller coaster for him and seen him become the driver and the bloke he is now. And we've all had beers with him and, and, and caught up with him outside of the racetrack. So I think it's really cool for me anyway, just to see, someone going and achieving this and you yeah. feel like you're a tiny little part of that journey because you've been and, there for, for nice. all of it. And the thing is, he is a top bloke. Like yeah. some of the, some of the people you come across in motorsport, they're, yeah. they're wankers, but he's <laughs> just, yeah, he's just, a, he's a top bloke. The, the dude you see on the TV having a laugh and having a joke and whatnot. Mm. That's Scotty. That's him. He's just, he's one of, he's one of the gang, you know, and, to, to see a, a grounded individual like him have such yeah. success and and grow from nothing, like he, he all he's ever done is vowed supercars and supercars, yeah. and for him to wind up in Indy cars is um, pretty cool for what we've done. Geez, there's another episode in itself, The Wankers in Motorsport. <laughs> I'm not sure if we can actually <laughs> put it out. But ten, <laughs> ten part special over summer. <laughs> <laughs> well, we've got to fill the content with something, boys. <laughs> We could Goodness do like an anonymous me. phone in line as well. I reckon we get some pretty interesting oh, calls. Oh, lordy, lordy, lord. <laughs> hey, uh, boys, thanks for your help over the weekend. Thoroughly enjoyed watching and being a part with you again for another Bathurst. As you said, Richard, let's make sure we don't do it from home yeah. next year. Has anyone change. anyone checked on the health of the Chinese food market in um, in country New South yeah. Wales? Are they yeah. okay? It's quiet. It was yeah. very oh, quiet. Uh, oh, apparently, they pull through. Table service didn't pick up, even though there was no one in the restaurant. So, <laughs> oh, no. I hope they pull through because uh, the Great Wall's got my name on it uh, next year. Yeah, beautiful. Yeah. Hey, boys, catch you next week. We'll come up Thanks, with something. Boys. Look catch forward up. to it. Thank you for joining us as well. We'll catch you next week right here on the grid. This program is a Radio Show Limited production. Tell your friends there's more at radiolamont.com.